0: we're going to jump into uh, this morning's topic. Um, We, I I want to share, we're going to jump into uh, this morning's topic. Um, We, I I want to share some with you as kind of coming off that marriage conference idea that I said, God's been orchestrating some things and I'm going to kind of give you the plan as best I understand it for the rest of this Fall, um, as far as what we're going to be doing here on Sunday mornings, two things. Don't forget, family groups are coming up. So sign ups in the back. If there's a favorite night you want to do, we're still looking for leaders and host homes. But I say that because um, we're going to have a couple of weeks here. We're doing kind of one off. This is a one off day um, talking about tithe. And then um, next weekend with Labor Day weekend, we'll be doing a one off. And then September 11th, we're going to start a new series called Love and Marriage. And uh, it's going to be a six week series. And it's going to kind of look the, at the biblical basis for um, how we find love in our lives and how we are husbands and wives together. Um, and my, my hope is we're going to try to start at the beginning and work our way forward through this whole idea of relationship because I think we kind of jump ahead to the marriage. Sometimes we don't think about all the steps along the way that are God-designed um, for us, okay? And so that'll be about six weeks, I think, in the Love and Marriage series. And then we're going to do something we've been praying about here for a while, Family Bible Church. Um, And that is a a six-week series on um, parents as spiritual leaders. And and I know that um, so many parents kind of are wringing their hands about their children and what's going on with their children and and how, you know, uh, that's our big concern is is how to best raise our children. And I think that one of the opportunities we're missing is really being the spiritual leaders in our children's lives. You know, sometimes you'll have someone say, uh, hey, go talk to the pastor about that. But see, your kids know you and they trust you even if you don't think they do. And so we're going to kind of walk through several weeks of, how, of what God's word says about your role as a parent and your ability to influence your children. Don't ever doubt that that's the case. Don't ever doubt it. So, and that's going to be for all, so don't think, well, I don't have any kids, it's going to apply to me because we're going to talk about the opposite side of that too every week, about how as children you're in that relationship with your parents. And we all have parents, right? Guy in the back, no parents. I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. He was born too, right? We're all born. We all have parents, right? And so we all have something to learn from this. So that's our plan for the fall. Um, I'm excited about it. I hope you are too. By the way, on the love and marriage thing, you're going to want to come if you're, um, if you're a married couple, invite your friends who are married because we're going to do something really, really fun every week uh, that you'll want to be part of. So uh, that starts September 11th, September 11th, okay? So, but today we're going to talk about um, this idea of money. Now, I know many of you came today and you were thinking, I'm going to go to church, but I'm not going to hear about money. As a matter of fact, one of the big complaints we hear in churches is all they talk about is money. Now, the truth is I've heard the opposite side of that. As the pastor of Family Bible Church, I've heard we never talk about money. <laughs> so, But I really think it's important. Um, and someone said to me once, maybe that's why I'm up here this morning saying this, I think some pastors are afraid to talk about money. Uh, I'm not afraid to talk about money. I just don't want it to be something that would keep you from knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I do believe that money plays a huge role in our lives. It's a huge, huge uh, influence in our lives. And um, as a matter of fact, I would say that when I do premarital counseling, one of the, one of the, I have six sessions I do with couples, and one entire session is spent on money. We just talk about finances. And you think, well, we're getting married. We're in love, you know? But n- one of the number one causes of fighting in a married relationship is money problems. Either, you know, not enough, too much, how much you have, how much I have, how much we have. Debt is a huge point of contention. But if you think even beyond marriage, um, money is one of the biggest points of contention in any organization, which is why some churches never talk about money. Any organization though, not just churches, I'll tell you an example. You can, you can be working at your job And you can be having the best year. You can just be loving life. You're just driving in the work. You're excited of your job. You love what you're doing. You're having a good time. And then something comes along called performance evaluations. Right? Now, performance evaluations in themselves isn't too bad. You're like, okay, I'll, I'll find out how I'm doing. But then you find out that your performance evaluation is tied to your salary increase for the year or lack thereof. And then when you sit down with your manager... And he goes over and he's like, well, um, Bill, you got a three, you know, on a one through five scale. That's average. <laughs> and he's like, and because you got a three, we're, we're going to give you a cost of living increase, which is half of a percent. Half a percent is not cost of living, by the way. And all of a sudden, you start thinking, well, who got the five? You see? And all of a sudden, you go back and somebody's a little too happy after performance valuations, You're looking in their cubicle, you know? I'm only telling the story because I've done it. Maybe you never have. But you look in their cubicle and they're like, whoosh, whoosh, you know, they're called, I'll have lunch with you, honey. I'm so excited. And you're like, you got the five. You got all the money. I had one time I had a manager sit down with me and say, you see, here's the way this works. There's a pie and everybody gets a slice. But if you do really good, you get a bigger slice. Well, you can tell who's been eating well around there and who's been starving to death causes all kinds of tension. You know what they say to you? If you're a manager, you probably know this. You know what the managers say to you? Here's your letter, your financial letter for the year. Please don't discuss this with any of your coworkers. <laughs> Why not? Why can't we have a transparent situation here? Because it's all kinds, of, all kinds of anxiety. I mean, you will come to work the next day and hate your job because of money or the perception of money. Number one source of fighting in married couples. Number one source of contention in, in business environments or any kind of an organizational structure. Number one source of contention in communities and countries. You want to you see a really good fight, go to a budget meeting for anything, whether it's a city like Highland, whether it's a state like the state of Illinois, whether it's the, you know, the national debate about our debt. Huge, passionate fights. People who love each other and can behave civilly cannot have a real conversation about money. You see? You see? It's just it's, it's in us. Love to fight about money. Now I will sh- I will share this with you. This is no surprise to our Lord Jesus Christ. This is no surprise to the God who made the universe, and He has some very specific views about our money. Right now I'll, I'll say that again. He has specific views about our money. Okay, And that's what I want to walk through today a little bit and, and talk through Now one thing I'm going to get out of the way on the front side here Is I call this teaching the tithe And um, some, of the, some of you are probably already ready to walk out You're like I know what this is going to be about It's be because the church needs money we, We're fine It's going to be because I'm not, I'm not given. We're fine But the tithe is nothing more than a simple equation That, that becomes a standard for, how, for our generosity That's what I would say What does tithe mean? Does anybody know? A 10th literally it means 10% that's all it means it's not a dirty word it's not an ugly word it's not somebody trying to get money out of your wallet it's not somebody trying to give you give away your house it's 10% it's just a number is all it is and we talk about that in the church about a tithe now a tithe is not a rule and it's not a law it's not an obligation and I can tell you that Jesus ain't impressed Jesus ain't impressed if you're like I'm giving a tithe Jesus ain't impressed with you you know Sarah Beth shared earlier you know that we're all deceivers Read, read a story in Acts about somebody who, who was trying to deceive God about what they had financially. God knows. He's not impressed. But a tithe becomes a way that we can judge our own generosity. No one has to look at your stuff but you. A tithe becomes a marker you can say, Am I a generous person? Or am I, do I have to have it all? Do I have to have everything? Is it never enough? We've talked about this before church. Is it never enough? Are you holding on so tight that you're just just squeezing out of your fingers and you're so mad at the world because everyone's taking your money? The government's taking your money. Your wife's taking your money. Your kids are taking your money. Everybody's taking your money. You know what I mean? Most times, crowds will get excited about that kind of conversation. I want you to have more of your money. People are like, yeah! That's a rallying cry. Well, I want to start off here this morning and I want to read some scripture together. And uh, we're going to do what we always do. We're going we're to pray. And this is going to be kind of a foundational scripture today, and then we're going to walk through. I hope you grabbed one of these engagement sheets, by the way. I think Corey talked about them earlier. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff on the back, and we believe that God is speaking. I hope that you're listening to him, not necessarily to me and that you will hear what he has to say to you today, but join me in prayer for a moment. Father God, we've come into your house, and we've heard the good things you've done. We've sang songs about a God that we can depend on, a God who is always there, and that's what we claim about you, that this worldly life is passing away, that there's nothing really here for us just for a while, and that our eternity is with you. Our reality is with you. Our whole being is is with you, Father. And so we give you praise and glory for that today. We come into your word expecting you to speak. We ask your Holy Spirit to come into us and to really help us understand what you are saying through your word today. May the words of my mouth be honoring to you. On the things I need to say, may they be said. And the things I don't need to say, let them pass by, Father, that you be glorified. This isn't about me at all. I pray that today we would be changed because of your revelation, that we would walk out of here different. In some way, I give you praise and glory today because you are a God who is faithful to move and faithful to answer prayer. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're going to turn. If you didn't bring a Bible today, you can grab one of ours. They're on the every row we have Bibles. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. We're going to read verses 19 uh, through um, 24. And I'm going to go ahead and start reading. You've probably heard this before. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. That's kind of a big deal of believers in Jesus. When he speaks, we listen, right? And this is what the Gospel of Matthew records that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other, because you cannot serve both God and money. And this is Jesus teaching here, and he teaches directly to this issue of money. I don't know if you, if, you, what you, if you believe that Jesus ever thought about money or talked about money, but if you look at his ministry, there was a lot of encounters that were very passionate, very, uh, very passionate encounters with money. I, I want to point out one thing in the middle. I almost skipped over it um, whenever I was doing my prep. This verse 22 and 23 there, if the eyes are good, right? their whole, whole body is good, but if the eyes are dark, the whole body is full of darkness, Right? And what that actually means is if your eyes are healthy, if you see things rightly, it means, the Greek means if you're looking at things and you intertwine them properly, then your whole body is filled with light. You can understand what's really happening in the world. But if your eyes are not seeing things properly, if they're, if they're bad, if they're evil is what it really means. If, it, if the, the word there um, for not good, it, it kind of means if you don't want what's best for that, what you're seeing, if you're not really seeing it truly, then your whole body is darkness. And, and there's no light at all. And, and uh, Jesus teaches here about how everything, if you read that, I love that passage of Scripture because it says where moths and rust and thieves can steal, right? Where these things, if you look, everything's in a state of breaking down. The things that we are willing to invest ourselves in, a our state of breaking down all the time, and we pour out big gobs of cash for them, right? And so he's saying, don't invest in those things, but rather in the kingdom of God where they can't be touched. Now, I don't want to get too far off on this. This is going to be a very practical conversation today about Scripture, but I want you to see that Jesus had a right view of the world. He had a right understanding. He taught truth about money. And when he says that everything is passing away, but you can invest in eternal things, he means it. Someone reminded me a couple weeks ago, they said, you know, Jesus proclaimed the, the, king, the gospel as the kingdom of God is near, Right? that we can begin to do things now that influence eternity. And that's what Jesus says here. The same very thing. That we can invest in things that are temporary or things that are eternal. We have a choice. And I hope that you'll just walk with me through this. Don't get ahead of me because I don't think all the time if you're giving your money to churches, you're investing in eternal things. So I'm not going to go there and say that's the only way that you influence eternity. But I'm going to tell you that there are things that God treasures and things that God don't treasure, and we should be attentive to those things, and we should invest accordingly. We should invest what God has entrusted to us in cor- accordingly. And then at the end in 24, Jesus says clearly, no one can serve two masters, so you're going to serve somebody. He says you cannot serve both God and money. He kind of makes a distinction a distinction here. I would say there's two overarching scriptural principles at work that Jesus knows and believes and proclaims, and you and I should know it and believe it and proclaim it too. And I'm going to walk through those now with you. And the first one is this. The, the first of these two overarching scriptural truths is this, that God owns everything. God owns everything. Psalm 24, 1 reads like this. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Like the whole package, everything that you see, everything that you love, everything that you think is worthy of your investment belongs to God, everything. There's nothing that's not his. And so the first thing that should maybe rankle us a little bit because we think we're doing a good job if we're giving something back to God. You know, it's all God's. Every bit of it, all of it is God's. I'm going to read this uh, passage from the Psalms. I love, if you ever, by the way, if you've not read the Bible for yourself, I would encourage you to read it directly. It's amazing some of the things that God says that we never give him credit for. If you read his word, it's it's pretty profound. But listen to what the psalmist writes uh, that God says here in Psalm 50, verse 9. Just listen to what it says. This is God speaking. And he says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pen. For every animal of the forest belongs to me and the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. Listen to this next, this, I love what the, the, the psalmist writes. If I were hungry, I would never tell you because the whole world is mine and all that is in it. I mean, if you listen to what the psalmist is writing, he's saying, God has no need for your stuff. Because if he wanted your stuff, it, it's his, right? It's not yours anyway. So he's like, don't think that I need your stuff, because I don't need your stuff. I own everything. And that's the first thing we have to get down, these two overarching principles. And the second one is, is going to relate now. It's going to involve us. And here's what, here's what the second one is. So God owns it all, but we get to manage it, okay? And that's what we're going to spend some time talking about today, is how we manage what God has entrusted to us. That's what we're going to spend time on today. So we, we manage the things that belong to God. Jesus t- told a story. In Matthew 25. I'm not going to read it right now, but it's really interesting because he he talks about how he has entrusted each person with some part of his kingdom. He says the kingdom of God is like this. It's like an owner, a landowner who's given his land over to some people. He's giving each each person a bag of money, and he's asked him to invest it while he's gone. And he he comes back and gives account for what we've done with what he's entrusted to us. I'm going to share something from uh, James with you. This is this is the, the next part that James. Uh, I love what he writes here in, in chapter four, verse thirteen. He says this because we're talking about what we have. We manage God's stuff. We we aren't. It's never ours. We're only holding it for a while. But James tells us how limited our time is. James writes. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or that city, spend a year here or a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow What is your life? Now listen to what it says You are a mist that appears for a little while And then vanishes Then James says Instead you ought to say If it's the Lord's will We will live and do this or that So the two truths are That God owns everything And that we manage things Right? For a while Just for a while and after that, it all belongs to God. I mean, it's, it's just not our stuff. It's not our stuff at all. So I want to walk through five, um, five biblical principles on money, right? And um, by the way, if you've, uh, if, if you've um, been around here for a while, you know we do something called Financial Peace University. So some of the stuff, if you've been to that class, will sound familiar to you. But I, I, I want you to understand that these are God's ideas. These aren't things that we thought up. But if you follow them, you will, you will change your relationship with money. It will not, you will not be the same as you were when you came in this morning. And um, it's profoundly affected us. But one of, the, one of the things that when we talk about this, kind of, you know, being managers for a little while, is, uh, you know, we're all entrusted with something. And, and, and cash flow is what it, you know, you ever heard somebody say, oh, i got to work on the cash flow situation. It's this active process right? We're going to talk about money, but this is true for any treasure, anything that's been entrusted to you, not just money. So I don't, but that's what we're talking about today. It's all been entrusted to us. And the question is, and I had this vision in my mind of, you know, when God is pouring in, out things to you, right? And this is true, like you're, you're, you're managing stuff whether you believe it or not. You've been entrusted with stuff whether you believe it or not. And the question is, if, if you're being things being poured into you, into your hands, you have an opportunity to do something with that. I had this vision of like a garden hose, you know, and, and you're, you're doing something, but you, you, you can't turn it off. It just keeps coming. You don't get to stop and start again. You don't get to pinch the hose off and wait and try to get it where you need to go, right? And so you could either be taking your garden hose, your, your, the resources that God's been giving you, in cash and other forms, and you could be putting them in buckets and then doing things on purpose with them. Or you could just kind of be like I was for most of my life and letting the garden hose lay out in the yard and just run 24 hours a day. You didn't know what was going on with it. You know, you you had no idea. And then whenever there was some catastrophe, you looked at your buckets that were empty and you had no idea where all your stuff went. And you say things like, well, I've never had anything. I've never had money. I've never had an opportunity. And that's simply not true. We talked a few weeks ago about how God pours out his blessings on all people, right? Causes the sun and the rains to come for the good and for the evil. And therefore, we know that we've been entrusted with something and we should ask that question. So I'm going to walk through five biblical principles that might be shocking to you if you've not been through FPU, but if you've been through it, they'll sound familiar, right? And we're going to start at the beginning. The first is this. We need to live debt-free. Now, I know this is a point of contention right now. Like I said, our country's had a big fight about the debt limits and the debt ceilings and all this kind of stuff, but we are a culture that has been born and bred to believe that you should always borrow to get what you want. You shouldn't wait for it. You should just borrow it, and then, you know, you'll pay for it later, right? We just found out the later comes sooner than we thought, and we're not quite ready when it comes. So you should really live over, live debt-free. Now, here's this verse of Scripture, and if you've been to Ramsey's class, you know what this is already, but there's a profound verse of Scripture. It's found in the Proverbs, and um, it reads like this. It says, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Do you know the Bible said that? Did you know that was written in God's good book? Then he says, if you are a borrower, you are enslaving yourself to the person who's lending to you, right? And we don't have time to walk through all the implications of that today, but there are several, including if you've ever been in a situation where a family member has asked you to loan them money. That's a sticky situation. God says it's because that person is enslaving themselves to you. I know some people in my own life that I had borrowed money from, and I had to work really hard to get that debt paid off because I couldn't even go hang out with them. I felt so weird around them. You know what I mean? We would have Thanksgiving, and I didn't want to show up because I owed them money, (laughs) you know? You don't want your bookie to be your dad. You know what I mean? And so the Bible says that the borrower is slave to the lender, and therefore, hey, how about we don't borrow? How about we don't borrow to have our lifestyle? So one of the principles is we can live debt-free. Now, I'll tell you a quick story. I remember whenever I was a believer in Jesus, I was a new believer in Jesus, and I didn't know this scripture yet, actually, but I was at work one day, and, and God was calling me to do something. He was like, Bill, I need you to do something. I'm like, okay, I'll do it, Lord, whatever you want. You know, I'm, I'm open to do it. And he's like, I want you to quit your job and go to school. And this is what I said. I said, I can't afford it. And I had this realization one day, it was over at Barnes Jewish Christian, I was working in the IT department there and I was standing in this hallway by my closet, which was my office, that's a true story, and I was putting the key in the door and it hit me that I had gotten myself in a situation with my finances that I could not be obedient to God. That there was something that I had done at that point in my life that whenever God had asked me to do something, all I could do was respond and say, there is no way. This verse was true for me. I was enslaved to my boss. I realized that if I wanted to go in, my boss was great. But if he wasn't, I didn't have a choice. I couldn't leave my job. I couldn't do anything about it. This verse came true for me. I was stuck in a job, unable to respond to what God would have me to do. Now, God provided a way for me to be obedient, but that really did come through. I remember having this vision of me under someone's thumb, like they owned me. A free-born believer in Jesus Christ, someone who was born without debt, someone, well, other than our country's debt, right? But I mean, no personal debt, you know? I mean, someone who, who could do anything I wanted so long as I paid the powers that be for all the stuff I bought that I couldn't afford in my life. It was frustrating. Maybe you experienced that too. Now, I want to share something else with you. If you've been through FPU, you might be sitting here today, if you've not been through it, and you're saying, well, you don't know how much debt I have. There's no way I can be debt-free. It is not possible, right? But I would encourage you to ask if you've been through Financial Peace University because there are several of us who have been able to come debt-free. And I'm not saying that to boast. I'm saying it's beautiful. Because when God says, hey, do this, we can be like, okay, we'll do that. It's not because we make a lot of money. It's because we've been disciplined with what God has entrusted into our care. So it is possible. So don't let the we can't stop you. It is possible. People have done it. It's amazing. The second biblical principle, other than um, uh, needing to be debt-free, is this. And it kind of goes along with it, right? It's called act your wage, you know? And uh, I'm going to read this passage of Scripture from you. And by the way, if, you know, if you've not dug into Scripture, I mean, I've got to say it again encourage you to do it. But this is what um, – I'm going to read the whole – I'm going to start in chapter. Uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. I'm just going to read it to you. You can turn over if you want, but I'm going to read it to you. This is what uh, Paul writes to Timothy, the young, the young um, disciple. He says, If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has unhealthy interests and in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of a corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth, and who think godliness, listen, is a means to financial gain. And then here's what he says in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation, and a trap... And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Because the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Right? And, and, and you can read that, and that's complex. I'm not going to try to, you know, dumb that down at all. There's a lot going on there. Godliness is not the road to financial gain. He's not saying, you know, come to Jesus and you'll be rich. That's not what he's proclaiming. But he's saying, be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It means you believe that what God has given you is enough for what you're facing right now. And sometimes when those debts come home the roost and we feel like we can't make it out, guess what? We dug the hole. We dug the hole ahead of time. But God has given us all we need for the moment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul says here, if we have clothes to wear and food to eat, we are satisfied with what God is doing in our lives. That's a pretty cool thing. So we have this, the first principle is being debt free, but the second is acting our wage, which kind of goes hand in hand with it, because honestly, a lot of the reasons we borrow money is to buy stuff that we can't afford, as we talked about before, right? And this is is a tricky one, you know? Um, If you can't afford it, maybe you shouldn't have it. Maybe that's the way I should work instead. All right. Now, the third thing I want to share with you is this. You have to have a plan, you see. There's no mystery in this, how this works. Um, It's not like a magic box where if you pray the right prayers and you do the right things, all of a sudden God dumps buckets of money and he lets you continue to be irresponsible with what he's given you. It's not the way it works. Matter of fact, when we're here in a minute. That's not how it works at all. But I want to kind of involve you in the conversation now. I'm going to ask you, to go ahead, and if if you have a dollar, take out a dollar, take out take out some money. <clears throat> All ages, by the way. If you if you're young, young, you know, little bitty, see if you got some money. I bet you somebody around you might give you a quarter, but take it out. We're gonna get the take out the bigger bills if you have. Them. We're gonna get the ushers ready with the collection plate. <laughs> I told you this was about tithing. I'm kidding. Smallest bill I have is a five. That's a terrible thing. Take take it out and hold it right there for a minute so I can see y'all have something in your hand. You see? Because you know what I hear a lot when I talk about being responsible for your finances? I hear people say this. Everybody say, I don't have nothing. Let me tell you right now, if you have something, look at the college said, you got money, right? You ain't broke college kids, you got money. You know what I'm saying? That's right. So just hang on to that. I want you to think about this, that right now you have proven the point that God has entrusted you to manage something. He has given you something that you're going to make a choice about. You see what I'm saying? You, you can't say anymore, well, I don't have nothing. And this is my big irritation. You know, I serve on the Highland Area Christian Service Ministry Board here. We run the food pantry in town. And I talk about, I think we need to teach people financial stewardship. And the, the, the thing I get back is, well, these people have no money. But that's not true. We all have something running through our hands. As a matter of fact, one thing that's really wild is Dave Ramsey and his FPU, he says that over your lifetime, more than $2 million will wiggle between your fingers. That's crazy. You know, that's a lot of responsibility. And that's the average. And so the question isn't, do you have something to manage? You all just showed me you have at least a crisp dollar bill. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Now, that's a decision, you see. No one's telling you what to do with your money. You're going to decide what to do with that dollar or that five or that 20 or that hundred. You're going to decide what to do with that paycheck, that salary, that uh, inheritance. You're going to decide. No one's telling you what to do with it. We all have some input here. So check this out. So this is what Jesus says. Now, I said a minute ago, you know, the magic formula or whatever. We just proved that we all have something to manage. But look at what Jesus says. And this is pretty profound. It's in the Gospel of Luke And he says this, Luke 16, 10, Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with a little can also be trusted with a lot. Let that sink in a minute. If you've been given a dollar and you can prove faithful with a dollar, then you can be given $100. And you'll be faithful with $100. You see what's happening? If you don't believe it, look at what he says after that. But whoever is dishonest with a little is going to be dishonest with a lot. You see how that works? So it's not to say that if, um, you know, if we do the right things, that God's going to bless us, but it's to say that he knows how we're handling our money. And there's a reality that if we're faithful with little, then we'll be entrusted with more. And I'm not saying I want to be rich because it's a pain in the rear end. Have you seen rich people? It's a pain, right? But if you're dishonest with a little, you're going to be dishonest with a lot kind of gets back sometimes to my point about tithing and I talk about tithing most of time people I take all the stuff out of the equation to challenge them in their heart about their generosity or their greediness and I'll say to them it's not about giving to a church the question is can you give 10% of your money to anything I had people say to me several things one of which is well you know what when I can afford it I'll give guess what 10% cost you what it costs anybody else you know what I mean for a dime for a dollar it's a dime for a hundred it's a ten you see what I'm saying it's easy math and it's not a requirement but it's a gauge of your generosity If you have to have it all, you'll never have enough. If you can give away 10% of what you make, you've got more than you need. Look at the life you're living. 20%, 30%, you have way more than you need. Look at the life you're living. It's amazing. And here Jesus says, if you can be trusted with a little, you you can be trusted with a lot. And if you have been dishonest with a little, you're going to be dishonest with a lot. So why would you be found trustworthy? We're going to come back to that verse later because there's more important implications to it. But we're going to take it for that. For what it is There's a reality here That God only gives us What he thinks we can handle You know what I mean And I'm not sure I can handle it. You know I, I pray all the time I remember there were times I had to pray And just have my hands like this And say God just take it I can't I'm so greedy I can just feel it I want it too bad I want you more Take it there's a reality That we face The truth is that When you go out And you get your 16 year old This first set of wheels Right I remember my dad does this me I was so mad at him because I wanted a V8, stick shift, 4x4, four four, you know, great lifted with a light rack. I'm just sharing my fantasy with y'all, for <laughs> okay? And he's like, what do you want that for? And I, I said, because me and my friends can have fun. And he said, you and your friends are going to kill yourselves in it. You know, he got me this little grandma car. I was so mad. It had a V8, but it was like a really small V8 that just made noise when you pushed it. It didn't go anywhere. It was really irritating. Smoked a lot, you know. And uh, it was really embarrassing to drive it around. But what I realized later in life is, see, my dad loved me. And he was going to give me something that I was going to kill myself in. He's going to give me something that I'd be safe in for a while. Learned how to drive. I got a truck later. I almost killed myself in the truck, okay? But, but you know what I mean? So God's the same way. He's not going to give you something. I, you know, a lot of times we pray for things, and God's like, man, you're going to hurt yourself with that. A loving father wouldn't give us something we couldn't handle. All right, the fourth principle, we're going to roll through these last two here pretty quickly, and it's this. We need to have a plan, and that plan will include saving and investing, okay, Saving and investing. Now, there's a scripture I popped up earlier. I don't know if you saw it, but this is the full scripture. I love this, uh, Proverbs 21, 10. It says, the wise store up choice food in olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. You see? I want you to see something in this scripture because we may not notice it, but you might think, well, that means the wise have nice stuff and fools don't, but that's not what the word says. What the word says is the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs? What's theirs? Choice food and olive oil. You see what I'm saying? It's not that the wise have more of it. It's that the fools consume it all. When we run a debt, we consume more than we even have. That's what my problem was. Whenever I couldn't do what God wanted me to do, I consumed more than he'd even given me to consume. Fools gulp all those down. Now, that's okay because we've all done goofy things with money, right? But that's crazy because right there it tells you something that's a very basic principle that we should save part of what we make. This is old news to some of us now. We've heard this for a while. What a shocking revelation. We have to save something for later. Saving, I would define this way. I would say saving means planning for things that will come to be even if we have not planned for them. All right? Savings means planning for something that's going to come to pass even if we haven't planned for it, right? So you have to have some savings so that whenever things happen you didn't think were going to happen, you can respond to that. And be okay. And then you can save for things that you want. Now, investing is, uh, is similar to it, right? And investing is postponing a current desire for a future return. You see? You can do whatever you want with that dollar today, but you could save it for something you don't know is coming your way, or you could invest it hoping to get a future return on something. And that doesn't have to be a stock. It can be a lot of things that we invest in. And so we need to save and invest as two of our key parts of our plan, what we're going to do with what God has entrusted to us. We have to do this. We have to do this. And it's not magic. It's like that garden hose earlier. You see, what you're doing is you're just putting that garden hose in a bucket for a while. And how big the bucket needs to be, it depends on how comfortable you are. But we're going to talk about that in a moment. But you're going to get that bucket full, and you'll be surprised. That bucket will fill up, you know. And the first thing I do is fill up the hole in the ground that you've dug if you're in debt. You fill that hole up. But then you're going to fill that hole. You're going to fill this bucket. And you're going to start filling these buckets up. And you're going to be able to do things you could never do before because you're telling your money where to go. It's a godly principle. Don't consume all that you have, but save some for now, save some for the emergency and invest some for the future. God's principles of money. The the, the fifth one is this. We ought to be generous givers, right? And that means real, true generosity, like um, being able to respond to situations, and I'm not talking about giving your money to the church, being able to respond to situations that you would not otherwise be able to respond to because you understand that what you've been given is more than you need, and you can respond generously to other people. I want to read you a story from the Gospel of Luke. This is another story that Jesus tells. It's in the 12th chapter. Jesus says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of what he owns. And he told him the parable. He talks about this rich guy, and he says, I have more stuff than I need. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And so he decides, this is a solution. He says, I'm going I'm to build larger barns. I'm going to tear down my old ones and build new ones. And I'm going to store up all my grain and all my goods And then I'll say to myself, I'll say to my soul, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy now. Eat, drink, and be merry. And this is God's response. God says, you fool, this very night, your soul will be required of you. And then Jesus asks the question, who will get all that he's prepared? What was it for? This week I had a chance to watch one of the most wealthy men in our country on, in an interview, Warren Buffett. Have you heard of Warren Buffett before, right? He's like old money, right? He's been around a while. He's, he's well known for his financial expertise. And he's talking about building a lasting legacy, you see? And he says, my dream for my company that I manage, my baby, I love it. I want it to, I, my dream is, this is his dream, that 20 years after he's dead, it won't yet have fallen to corruption. 20 years. He spent his whole life learning and making wise decisions and being disciplined and everything else. But he says openly, my dream is in 20 years, it won't yet have fallen to corruption. You know, I had this vision in my mind of Warren Buffett on a beach building a sandcastle. He's just trying. He's scooping it all together. He's making his towers pretty. And he's putting a moat around it. Have you put a moat around your beach, sandcastle? And you're hoping, you're praying that the tide is going to come in and wash away. But the reality is this. It's all going away. It's all going away. And God says to us, you fool. This very night, your soul is demanded of you. And what will your riches bring? You see, as followers in Jesus Christ, we believe in eternity. And we believe that God is going to, uh, we're going to be with God forever. And there will be a day. And you know what's funny too is that the word says that in our money management, when Jesus tells a story about the people who are given the bags of money, the actual words are this Well done, good and faithful servant. That should sound familiar to you. So there's something about the way we handle our money that is very important. And we are called to be generous givers. So our goal is to invest in what God is doing, right, and his kingdom as believers in Jesus. Our goal is to invest in something that is not going to wither away in 20 years, but live on. And that goes back to what Jesus said in, uh, in Matthew at the very beginning today. It's the last uh, scripture I want to share with you, and we're going to wrap up with this. I'm just going to read you this story. This is Jesus, and he's talking in the Gospel of Luke. And he says these things to his disciples. He says, I tell you this, use the worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into an eternal dwelling. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. We heard that earlier. Listen to what he says next. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you With true riches. And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will actually give you property of your own? And he repeats No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other, because you cannot serve both God and money. These principles that Jesus lays out stand all throughout Scripture. And we can learn to be disciplined in our handling of God's resources. I hope, and I hope that we're willing to admit the struggle that it is. You know, that it's hard to do that. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna ask you to pray with me, but I want you to think about what we've talked about today. It not all at once kind of a thing. Don't feel, I mean, wherever you're at in that walk, but think about these things because these things will work. They will change your life and uh, they will honor God at the same time. Here's the question that I have, our family challenge today. And this is going to be something that each of us can think about. But how how does the way you handle your money speak about what you believe about God and eternal matters? That's the question. When you look at what you're going to do with that dollar, how does that speak to about what you really believe about temporary things and eternal things? Please join me in prayer. Father, today we've come in to your house and to worship you and to claim your sovereignty over all things and and maybe some things we're not comfortable talking about, maybe some things that we we do struggle with, Father, that we know our hearts are greedy or maligned or not in sync with what you want. And yet we come here to proclaim the gospel of a God who so loved the world that you gave your only son to us that in your great generous gift for all eternity, we can celebrate an eternal truth. Father, if in the ways in our lives that we're not honoring you, I pray you would convict us, that you would change us, that we could be obedient to your call, that we could proclaim honestly a gospel of eternal matters, getting our priorities right before you. And may we not do it to show off to others. May we not do it so we can feel, be boastful in our ability but that we can proclaim your great goodness, your all-sufficiency, your unbelievable mercy, your unbelievable blessings you poured out on us. And that others might go, I love a God like that. Be our God today, Father. Show us true riches that we may forever dwell in your kingdom. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen.